Hello, Gorge. How are you? Hello. I'm fucking fantastic. How the fuck are you, Monique? I'm doing well. You're looking fantastic with this this yellow flannel. Thanks. Rock my flannel because it's freezing in New it York. Sure, fucking is. Holy it's shit. So cold. It's been very weird and like foggy and kind of like ominous humid? around my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Really humid and cold, which I don't like. It's not no, a fun no. combination. No, no, no. no. Uh, New Orleans is uh, in October is very humid and cold. That like 60 degrees in New Orleans is fucking freezing. Yeah. And uh, New York has been doing that really charming thing where, like, New Year's Eve, it was 50 degrees. I was going to say, where it's literally like a crapshoot and it's a roll of the dice on what mm-hmm. outfit should I wear? Like, a cute, breezy dress and a cardigan or, like, literally 17 layers and, like... Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then two days later, it you was You can't see my degrees. face. Mm-hmm. Yes! Yeah. There was a yeah. snowplow outside my apartment the other day because they thought it was going to snow and then... That didn't literally happen. nothing happened yeah literally i was like the whole day i was like is it supposed to snow or like what's going on totally uh because i've missed this the last like four episodes this is another fucking horror podcast hey i'm monique sanchez i'm amy Traden. welcome we're getting it we're doing it <laughs> we're nailing it today yeah today we are we did not start off the new year right uh because nope. it's you know New Year, same shitty me. <laughs> yes. Did I wait until literally we had said goodbye and stopped recording before I was like, oh, by the way, we didn't introduce the podcast. And you were like, cool. <laughs> yeah. At that point, it's like, like yeah. you know. Yeah. You're aware. You're not listening to some self-help thing that's going to enrich your life. This is- Definitely not. <laughs> if you are looking for that, you are in the wrong fucking place. Yeah. But uh, speaking of people who enrich my life, uh, one friend of the podcast um, from the Peony podcast, Lex, it was her birthday recently. Fuck yeah. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday Queen. If you guys don't listen to the Peony, they're really fucking cool. Lex and Julia are really rad and smart and hilarious and hilarious. Great. Yeah. Just boss queens. And they cover all kinds of cool topics. So check them out. Show them some love. And also... My good friend, Donna, it will be her birthday by the time this comes out. So happy birthday, Donna. Love you, girl. Oh, shit. Happy birthday, Donna. She's like the OG like listener. She's been listening since the first episode and always yeah. texts after every single listen to tell me what she thought of the episode. I fucking love it. And we haven't met yet, but I feel immediately connected to her because mm-hmm. nothing ever happens to us. And... <laughs> And so I feel that we've bonded over the fact that nothing happens to us, even though she ended up submitting a listener story where things happened to her. So Exactly. That is true. Yes. Damn it. I'm all alone again. I'm just realizing. Son of a bitch. Okay. Your time will come. I'm confident of this. Uh, It's going to be a haunting, though. I can tell. And it's not going to be an alien. And then I'm just going to be fucking pissed and haunted. (laughs) That's what's going to be the situation. Since I last saw you, have you been watching anything, reading anything, doing anything? Uh, season two of How To with John Wilson, which I recommended the first season fucking ages ago whenever I watched it. I just have to say, like, the second episode was so fucking crazy. I did not, true crime connection, did not see that coming. Lost my fucking shit, dude. It's such a good show. It's so I gotta check this weird. out. It's like... Dude, the weird, candid shots they get of shit in New York, too. You're just like, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, that's totally normal. I gotta check this out. It's just, it's really well done. I think you'd really like it. 
I also think I only saw the first two episodes um, and I don't I can't remember how you feel about like post-apocalyptic things. That's not super Eh. your jam. I mean, if it's good, that's fine. Okay. I started watching Station Eleven, which is Mm, on HBO, which is about like a traveling group of performers and actors in the apocalypse. So it might be up your alley. Interesting. I was really intrigued. I definitely got sucked into two episodes last night when I shouldn't have. And (laughs) yeah, I watched the second one being like, oh, I like should go do stuff. And then I was like, no, I'm going to watch this episode. I understand that. I uh, that happened to me a few days ago. Where I was like, you know, I'm just going to watch like four hours of Succession. Dude, of- it's really good. I've been, uh, Johnny's so been good. making me watch that too. Have you gotten uh, to the finale of season three yet or no? No, no I'm, I'm, I think I'm like two or three episodes of, away. Girl. Um, it's so good. So funny. It's so unexpectedly hilarious. Like the amount yeah. of times I've genuinely just like cracked up and laughed out loud and been like, did not see that coming. Yeah. And one of the standouts of the show is Kieran Culkin. Uh, he plays the youngest Roman. Roman. And uh, he was recently on Conan O'Brien's podcast, uh, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. And something, and I'm always fascinated by stories of this. He was called in for Cousin Greg. Really? And he was like, mm, I don't think that's me, but I'm really Definitely interested not. in Roman. And they were like, well, we're not really auditioning Romans at the moment. So he, because he's um, more important than someone like me, for instance, uh, he was given the full first script. So he just took three Roman scenes of his choice and recorded them, put them on tape and sent them anyway, even though they're like, we're not looking for Romans at Amazing. the moment. Amazing. That's how you fucking get the job. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. like piss him off i don't know but uh because i think jeremy strong who plays kendall was eyeing roman initially i could see that yeah more than kieran culkin as cousin greg, greg. yeah he's, definitely not i don't know who that actor's name is but he is literally phenomenal he's phenomenal yeah he, he's my favorite character he makes me giggle so much <laughs> literally every yes. scene he's in is hysterical and he's suing greenpeace oh my god his vendetta against greenpeace <laughs> He's like it's talking amazing. to some girl and she's like, oh yeah, I like gave it to charity. He's like, it wasn't Greenpeace though, was it? Like, <laughs> they <laughs> fucked me out of my money. It's so good. Um, no, but it's, it, you know, it, and I love seeing these actors create these characters that are so, that you're like, you can't actually imagine anyone else doing it. No. So when you hear, and you hear it all the time of like, oh no, it wasn't even initially offered to me. It was, off, I was offered Cousin Greg. You're like, what the fuck? Um. Uh, and how he just kind of took took it into his own hands, and it, and the first line he had that he recorded was "What's up, motherfuckers?" <laughs> so he was like, "I didn't think I was going to get perfect. it. I just enjoyed doing the the tape." That's um, perfect. But that's a great if you like Kieran Culkin, especially if you like Succession. That episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is really cool too. So I would check that out. I will have to check that out. I'll have to tell Johnny about that. He is legitimately obsessed to the point that I actually know that Roman's not the youngest. Shiv's the youngest. That, that oh, he's shit. The that's right. He's boy. a boy. Yeah. I know because I had to have a whole conversation about this the other day. <laughs> this is my life. Yes. Is this and then showing me succession memes, which are hilarious, to be fair. 
Um, could you share this with me? I've not seen a single succession meme. <laughs> I have to one. get them from Johnny. Yeah. The only thing I do know is that if you click skip intro on the succession opening credits, you're a fucking monster. You're insane. Uh, like it's so good, and the music the song is, so, is good. so good. I just like do a little like ballerina dance in my like apartment. But like Kermit the Frog. On, it's like, yes, dance. yes. <laughs> It's so good. No. It's so good. It really is. Yeah. And Michael uh, McFadian, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who usually plays these very stoic, like, broody, sexy character, which is definitely, like, my jam. He uh, very famously played uh, Mr. Darcy in the Keira Knightley, um, <laughs> the Keira Knightley <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, plays Tom Wamsgam. I he is so not that at all that like the fact that he was cast is kind of wild to me because he's such a fucking doofus which is so funny because I think he's actually so well cast because Absolutely. I don't have any image of him as Mr. Darcy because like I don't so I really haven't seen him in anything else this is really all I like recognize him from and he's fantastic he's fantastic but he's usually fantastic. like a very like broody and he's like a Clive Owen in in the Nick he's he's a Clive yes. Owen so then to it's literally when I watch this, it's the same as when I showed you the Clivo and Stephen Colbert interview, and you're like, "Who the fuck is this? Who person? is this?" <laughs> it's exactly the same situation. I can't imagine how jarring that is. It's incredibly uh, jarring because Johnny came up to me the other day and was like, "Did you watch Pride and Prejudice?" And I was like, "No, he's I don't think I even read the book." Fantastic, Mr. Darcy. He literally was like, "He's Mr. Darcy," and then I was like, "Oh, I can't picture that at all. That seems weird." Yeah. Now it'll be, I don't think you can go the other way. I don't think so, Monique. I don't think it's going to work. It took a bit for me to be like, okay, but he's, he's a very sexy Mr. Darcy for sure. I'm going to have to take your word for it because I can't, I'm never going to be able to see it. Doofus. Uh, He's such a doofus. He's great though. Him and Greg, like their fucking banter back and forth. Like is so. Poor Greg. I mean, it's incredible. Everyone's amazing. Um, If you don't watch Succession get on it it's so good it's so good yeah uh, it really is i honestly like was not super into it at first i was it was one oh, of those i loved it it was one of those kind of like it's always super white privileged people that kind of too where i was like one do i need to be watching this and then i was like two it's also kind of one of those like it's always sunny and filled up your things where i was like do these people have any redeeming qualities as human beings or do mm. i just kind of hate all of them yeah the point that i was like i don't even want to watch these people yeah, I had uh, recommended Succession uh, in the first season to a friend of mine, and she made that complaint of, I don't want to see a bunch of rich, white, privileged people. And I was like, no, no. And they're And I was like, and I understand that. Quote, unquote, right. Problems. Yeah. Well, because the thing is, it's like, it's very intentionally that. It's, yes. It's not unself-aware. It's incredibly self-aware. And yes. it's very, you know, the, the thing it gets likened to a lot is King Lear. It's like, it is very Shakespearean in its scope and and yes. everything um but i i think it's great and i think the performances are fucking killer oh hands down just yeah. phenomenal yeah it's really good always watch there's like a little behind the episode yes thing. Like, i am obsessed with all that they're shit they're fucking so good i always i just find it so interesting um and i actually have quite a few friends who work on that show so no shit yeah in like uh wardrobe and i had a friend who worked on locations for a while i believe very cool I can't even imagine all the fucking crazy luxury places they get to go to fucking film. Yeah. It's funny because I am able to 
place certain ones. I was like, oh, they're at the Marriott Marquis. Oh, they're at the yeah. Plaza. Like just from like the insides. We do a lot of time where we'll be like, oh, that's Pier 17 because that's where they land the helicopter because yeah. that's where those helipads are. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll be like, hey, I know that. Yeah. Succession is amazing. Succession is amazing. That's it. Oh, there's there's a companion podcast to this latest season, yes. but I haven't. But I haven't been able to hear it. Cause... I was just going to ask you if you had listened to it because I have no. not, but I basically get that in my daily life from Johnny. He is my succession podcast. That's pretty great. It's pretty great. Yeah. 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 I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> you would get along great, Monique. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him to you next time. <laughs> Please do. Be like, I don't want these succession memes. You know who does? Monique Sanchez. Girl. All right. When you watch the end of... We might just need to have like a group FaceTime where you can FaceTime with I'm me into and it. because uh, the end of season three is particularly good and I would like to discuss with you further. I'd be interested to hear your opinions. I'm excited. I have shockingly most of my week off next week. So. Girl, you fucking deserve it. You have been working non-fucking yeah. stop in addition to general life hassle and shittiness. Yes, indeed. Yes. Indeed. So is that it do you have anything else uh, or you have spooky stuff i have spooky stuff i do want to say r.i.p betty white oh my god yes she'll be missed Ugh. i like wanted to forget that had happened i'm sorry i didn't mean to bring it up and just like remind you it's all good it was just a shit end to a shit year that's very true Johnny told me there is apparently a reddit curse and anytime they post on like the front page that so-and-so celebrity is going to be turning 100 this week. They die that week before their birthday, before they can turn 100. Also, it's 100, so. So, yeah, you're already kind of, like, toeing the line. Yeah, you're, roll, you're rolling the dice. Yeah. You're walking hand in hand with the Grim Reaper at that point. Like, For sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, we can jump into some some spooky, some spooky story. So, I know I, like, traumatized everyone last week. Slightly, a lot, depending on, you know. I've gotten so many DMs about it. Have you? Is everyone really <laughs> mad at me? That's the real question. Is everyone just like, holy shit, that story was crazy? Or are they like, Amy's a trash person for doing this to us? No, Why? no. Everyone okay. was like, holy shit, that story's crazy. And I wasn't emotionally prepared for it. No but I also didn't realize uh, until uh, listening to it again that we also had a kind of inadvertent theme of the head neck situation. Oh, Yeah. We did. And I thought of that during your story. I did not bring it up. But because when I was so shocked that she had been, her neck had been broken, because obviously, like, I was like, the strangle situation was my first yeah. thought here. Mm -hmm. Girl, we're always, always, always with psychic sisters. Psychic Fingers sisters. In the eyes. Invertent theme here. Um, <laughs> all right. So not trying to traumatize anyone this week. And I felt that we could only ring in the new year properly with Celebrity ghost story. Fuck yes! Fuck yes. So I'm going to go with the OG of all OG celebrity ghost stories, numero uno, Joan fucking Rivers. She Fuck is yes. not only the first story in the first episode of the first season, but hers is also included in the best of because it's fucking great. It is fucking great. I the the thing that stands out to me a lot of that episode is the non-existent wig budget. Girl. And how bad the wigs are in that reenactment. Holy shit. So bad. It's ridiculous. It actually it's is ridiculous. So ridiculous. Yes. 
God. I'm like, I get getty though, and I'm like, ah, oh, the celebrity ghost story reenactments. Like, they're so terrible that I love them. Absolutely. Here's the thing. I feel like they get away with it because it's always just like a little thing. It's yeah. never, you don't really like see a big scene or anything. It's always just like a, not even 10 seconds, like a five second little clip of something. And you're like, okay, that was just enough that I knew it was terrible, but it also wasn't so bad that I'm like, I can't watch this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So sources, obviously, celebrity ghost stories. Oh, gee. NewYorkTimes.com, Wikipedia, GuestOfAGuest.com, and CheatSheet.com. So, first off, I am going to kind of assume I don't really need to tell anyone who Joan Rivers is because she's fucking Joan Rivers. Yeah, man. She's a comedy legend, but some things you might not have known about the comedian. She was Johnny Carson's first permanent guest host on The Tonight Show. She performed at Carnegie Hall. She was friends with Nancy Reagan and even credited her with helping her after her husband's suicide. Oh, shit. Yeah. In 1990, she won a daytime Emmy for the Joan Rivers talk show, her talk show that ran for five seasons. So, as you can imagine, from her tough-talking style of satirical comedy, Joan Rivers was a very no-nonsense kind of woman. She was never a believer in the paranormal or the unexplainable and said that she'd had them on her talk shows, which by them I'm assuming she probably means like medium, psychic, things like that, and that when she did, she was always very skeptical and honestly just thought it was silly. So... During the late 1980s, Joan was going through one of the darkest periods of her life, and in 1988, she had a particularly bad year. She'd been fired from her late-night talk show, her husband committed suicide, and because of some bad investments, she was struggling financially. She said, quote, everything had gone wrong, end quote. So, looking to get away, get some peace and quiet, she decided she just had to get out of LA and go back to New York, which, correct, Mm -hmm. Joan. Always. Yeah. She was looking for places to live when a friend told her about this big old white stone building, the top floor of which was a ballroom that apparently no one ever wanted to buy. So this is how they describe this building in the in the show, obviously. Uh, it's a mansion. It's a gorgeous, yeah. huge mansion, yeah. like right next to Central Park. Fuck yeah. It's, yeah. I was like, just in case you're thinking, I'm like, oh, it's like a little dinky apartment building. Like, no. Yeah. It's not. (laughs) So she went to take a look at the apartment, which was located at 1 East 62nd Street in the Upper East Side near Central Park. While the apartment was in a state of total disrepair at the time, Joan could see how glorious it had been in its heyday and just loved it. She could see that the ballroom apartment had plenty of potential, and after she made the decision to buy the place, she put all her energy into the renovations. She was so miserable and so unhappy at the time that she just threw herself completely into the repairs. Every night, she would stop by after the workmen had left for the day, and she would just walk around the apartment, imagining how it was going to look and how she was going to decorate it, which, for the record, was with a Louis Fourteenth meets Fred and Ginger style. Fuck which- Yeah. Fuck yes. I love it. Uh, And basically, she's just hyping herself up for when she's going to get this, like, awesome future apartment. She even started to feel like it was more than a coincidence that she had found this broken down apartment at a time when she felt like her life had broken down. So in restoring this apartment to its former glory, I'm sure it felt like she was restoring herself in a way. So fast forward a little bit. It's Labor Day weekend, and Joan's on the way home to wherever she happens to be staying while they're renovating her new apartment. She had her dog in the car with her, a little Yorkie, which, 
Um, kudos to the reenactment dog they picked because one, it's so goddamn cute. Number two, <laughs> phenomenal acting. Made his marks. There you go. Just, yeah, got his lines. Done. Nailed it. And we were talking trash about the reenactments, Monique. Well, I'm sorry. I meant people reenactments. The dogs, yeah, the dog's hair was on point. No wig in sight. No. So, yeah. yeah. No, the, the dogs, that, that canine union fucking nails it. They got it. Cream of the crop. <laughs> so on the way home, she decided she was going to stop by and take a look at the apartment like she usually did. She brought the dog up with her, and usually he would just run right into the apartment. But when they got to the door that night, the little dog wouldn't go in. He just mm. stood nope. right outside the door, barking and carrying on, and wouldn't budge. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, I'm fucking out of there right then. No, I'm like, pull the dog, sat into this. Awesome. Get nope. in the car. Which Joan couldn't help thinking was a little odd. And it wasn't just that. Because despite it being a warm night out, the apartment was freezing cold. Then she looked around and saw that there were pornographic writings and markings all over the walls. What the, like dicks and shit? I'm assuming that's what that meant. In the reenactment, it was also like kind of an undressed lady, like lounging back with her legs splayed situation. Oh my. I know, risque Mm -hmm. for the reenactment people. Whoever got to do that as part of the job, like tracing the walls. I'm sure that was fun. (laughs) But yeah, I'm assuming it's just like big dicks and then like maybe some titties. I don't know. Do people draw vaginas on things? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. Is that Georgia O'Keeffe's whole thing? That's kind of her deal, yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I've never seen like a graffiti out of That's what I'm saying. Like the dick is the the thing of choice people are going to draw on the wall. I guess so. Yeah. But I'm guessing like- It's circumcised always. 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 It's easier to draw. It is. Yes. 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 Most people don't have the uh, artistic talent to to draw one in its natural state. (laughs) To To include the hoodie? No, they don't. (laughs) They don't. (laughs) Uh, So yes, there's all these pornographic drawings and writings on the wall, which I'm assuming is just like a bunch of curse words and cocks everywhere. Yeah. So she thought it was all very strange and just didn't know what to make of the situation. She leaves and she's riding down the elevator and she can't help but mention it to the attendant saying, so weird, my apartment's so cold and the dog won't go in and it looks like someone was in there writing on the walls. And without missing a beat, the man said, oh, I guess Mrs. Spencer is back. Oh, shit. Mrs. Spencer's a fucking perv. Right? Which I was like, you're supposed to be a lady. Right? draw dicks all over my walls. Come on. Also, just, like, if you're into, like, dicks and, like, just, I don't know, don't draw them on a wall. That's annoying. Yeah, Yeah. get a notebook. You know, you can write write a dick on a notebook. Or do the thing, like, in Superbad. He had, like, the lunchbox full of all the drawings that he, like, yeah, you store them somewhere else. On a wall is such a hassle. Yeah. Not my decor choice. That's right. Exactly. I don't want the dick decor. Get it out of here. Boom. (laughs) So Joan's obviously like, what the fuck? Who the fuck is Mrs. Spencer? And the man told her that Mrs. Spencer had originally owned the house and was actually J.P. Morgan's niece. Oh, shit. Right? Like, she's connected. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's like a a mansion. Yeah. (laughs) It's not a J.P. Morgan money. Yeah. Yeah. The whole house belonged to her, but as she got older, she started moving up and renting out the lower floors. 
Eventually, she moved into the ballroom apartment on the top floor where she lived until she died seven and a half years before Joan moved in. And in case you're wondering, yes, Mrs. Spencer did die in the ballroom. Oh, shit. Yep. And unfortunately for the residents, it seems like she never left. The man told Joan that Mrs. Spencer comes back and just does things to people in the house. He told her that one of the neighbors had this antique chandelier with these ceramic cherubs holding the light bulbs. Mm. And one day they came home to find that all of the cherubs' heads had been broken off oh, and were lying on the floor. That's fucking savage, yo. Right? So fuck your I would cherubs. Be like, right? Which Where I'm are my dicks? <laughs> they have tiny baby <laughs> dicks and I don't like it. <laughs> she likes a big cock, Monique. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if she likes them big or not. She, maybe she's an equal opportunity dick lover. What I do that's, know. That's very nice of you. <laughs> you should You're go welcome. into politics, Monique. No, that's enough of my family's in politics. They nailed that. I'm not I'm not doing any of that. Um, but what I will say is that she probably would love your dick mug. Oh, my God. She totally would love my dick mug. She would love your dick mug. Amy has this mug that's all dicks, it's but they don't beautiful. look like dicks. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's beautiful. It's very and it's classy. Multicolored. It's very It is multicolored. Classy. And there's like... I feel like maybe there's like little flowers in between yes. the dicks, which is part of why it doesn't look so crazy. Yeah. I love to give it to guys unexpectedly and like literally time to see how long it takes them to realize they're literally drinking out of a cup covered in dicks. What's what's the longest My cock it's cup. taken? It usually takes people a while. I actually have had to tell several people before they like they were like through with their beverage. And I was like, how you enjoy my cock cup? Yes, I was like, I'm not getting enough satisfaction from this. I need to draw their attention to it. I need <laughs> I need instant gratification. Thank you. You have 40 dicks in your mouth. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Amy's house. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love it. So, Mrs. Spencer, fuck the cherubs. She wants the cocks. Obviously. Who doesn't? Right? Same girl. Joan said, quote, it was just bad. You didn't feel good. Mm. You didn't feel comfortable in the apartment. End quote. She said the workers didn't like staying late. The dog still refused to come in. And if she put him inside, he would immediately scratch and whine to get out. Mm. Which I just couldn't live in a place where my dog literally was like, I, you insane person can stay here, but I can't be in here at yeah. all. Hashtag like not a, a dog person. That has to just, other than like the dog is like, bitch, there's something in this apartment. If you weren't on of that vibe, that still has to be super annoying of like the entire time you're home trying to chill out, your dog is freaking the fuck out. Yeah. It's like, do you have to go out? Like, we, this is your thing you need to do to tell me you need to go pee. So right. if you don't have to do that, not, why are you doing this? This is a haunted yeah. residence, ma'am. <laughs> what are you not understanding? Yeah. Hi. <laughs> I'm actually a psychic Yorkie, and you need to get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very distressing. It's also like your dog seems upset. Like, why would you be okay living in a place where your dog just, like, was upset all the time? Yeah. And, of course, the apartment was always freezing, no mm -hmm. matter how much she would turn the heat up. Mm. But even though she no longer felt comfortable in the apartment, she was newly widowed and had sunk all of her money into the apartment and the renovations, so she didn't really have the option of getting another place. Not to mention, she had really been looking forward to that apartment and didn't really want to move. Mm. So 
she's a smart lady and decided to call New York University's parapsychology department. Fuck yeah. And ask them if they could help her. Which again, so smart. It would not have occurred. I would just be like, well, I'm fucked. Cool. I would have called a priest or a medium. Yeah, I'd be like, I guess I have to get religious now. And like, be like, hey, bro, can you help bitch out? I know Mm. I'm not like part of the team here, but like, I need help. Yeah, if you give them like a fruit basket or some shit, they'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Okay, I can do that. That's fine. I'm good with a gift basket. Yeah. (laughs) You don't actually have to be religious. Okay. (laughs) Taking notes. (laughs) It helps. But like when my friend was getting married, I went with her to go ask the specific priest if he'd be down to marry her, but like in another church. And she like went with like a muffin basket uh, to be like, hey, remember uh, you taught us in school. Would it be cool if uh, you married us in this other church? Because uh, your church had just undergone a fire. And he was like, no, I will not marry you in another church. If you want to get married by me, you have to do it in the fucking soot and ashes. Wow. It's kind of a dick. That was a real yeah. dick move. I'd be like, give me my muffins back. See, but if you knew him, you'd be like, yeah, that sounds like him. He's a dick. I don't like that. Yeah, no. Wasn't cute. I don't approve of this. That's not a cute look. Mm-mm. I thought, I'm pretty I sure. thought I was going to get my way with the gift basket, Monique. This is evidence to the contrary. He's yeah, not going to... Yeah, no, and I'm actually pretty, well, he was like a dick. I'm also pretty sure that this was the second meeting because the first one we showed up like three minutes late and he left. What an asshole. Yeah, he's an asshole. Fuck off. Yeah. So it's, I guess a gift basket sometimes works, but not, not to, you just need to know who you're talking to. You need to like get the intel from someone who is familiar with the person, but most of the time they don't give a fuck. They'll be like, yeah, sure. That's why I'm calling you. Yeah. <laughs> like Monique, help me. <laughs> I was like, who are you gonna call? Not Ghostbusters, Monique. That's who I'm gonna call. Yes. I mean I'll just have the the in on the priest. That's it. But that's That's fine. Okay. Okay. Let's get back to the goddamn ghosts and murders. So Jones is a smart lady. She decided to call New York University's parapsychology department and ask them if they could help her person on the phone said, no, we can't help you. And also, totally shouldn't mention this at all, but there's a voodoo priestess in New Orleans named Sally that can help you. Fuck yes. Right? So Joan is like, oh my God, yes. Immediately calls her up and she's like, hey, my apartment is super haunted and they told me to call you. Will you come to New York and help? So the voodoo priestess agrees and comes all the way to New York to perform a cleansing ceremony in Joan's apartment. Did Joan Rivers have to put her up? Maybe they didn't really like get into the logistics of this, but I would kind of assume so. I would kind of assume she like flew her out there and like. Yeah, because she'd be like, you're Joan fucking Rivers. Yeah, I understand maybe you, you're like going through a financial situation, but if but you're like, asking me to fly up to like cleanse your fucking house. Yeah. Like fly me out. Here's my Delta reward miles you know, account. So I get fucking points on this. And I'm going to be staying at the Ritz. Thank you. I was like, if not, Joan, come on. Fuck. Joan, girl. So they're in the apartment and the priestess starts the ceremony. And according to Joan, this was like something out of a bad movie. The woman was chanting and drumming. And eventually, I guess she channels Mrs. Spencer because Mm. the priestess said that Mrs. Spencer was very angry that she felt she was still the owner of the house and wasn't happy about the renovations and didn't understand who all these people were in her building and in mm. her home. I mean, that's got to suck. If like, yeah. if, if Beetlejuice is any, maybe any sort of inkling as to how it might be that you're just in your house and you're like, who the fuck is this? 
no, this is not how I like my ballroom to be, actually. Why are you fucking it up? Yeah. If you can't do it right, I'm just going to put dicks all over it. <laughs> Fuck you. I don't like your, <laughs> I don't like this paint color. Your design choices are terrible. Dicks on the wall. Get some fucking taste. Get some taste. So after making contact with Mrs. Spencer, the priestess had them spread cornmeal on the floor and continued the ceremony. After about an hour and a half, the priestess suddenly said, it's gone. Joan said as soon as she said that, the room warmed up immediately, and her dog, who had been waiting outside the door the whole time, came back inside the apartment for the first time in five months without her having to call for him. Yes. Joan couldn't believe it. So by the time they finish, it's late. It's like 2.30 in the morning, but the priestess says to Joan, Hey, let's go ask your neighbors if they want me to cleanse their apartments as well, since I've already done yours. And That's Joan's, very nice. Right? It's nice. And Joan's like, okay, it's fucking 2.30 in the morning. But she's like, whatever, let's fucking do this. So at 2.30 in the goddamn morning, they go around knocking on all of her neighbors' doors. Joan introduces herself and Sally and explains that this is her friend from New Orleans and that she just cleansed her apartment of Mrs. Spencer's spirit and would you like her to cleanse yours too? And despite it being 2.30 in the morning, every single person said yes. Dude. Now, which is that's like- That's some shit. That's some shit. I'm going to say obligatory devil's advocate. I mean- Okay, it's 2.30 in the morning, but... But Joan Rivers is Joan at your door. Rivers yeah. is at your door with yeah. a voodoo priestess from New Orleans, and you're going to be like, no, I'm good. Like, there's no way I'm missing out on this. Like, I would 100%... I'd be like, yeah, fucking come in. Even if I didn't believe in her, I hadn't had any experiences, I'd be like, sure, you can come in and clean my apartment. Like, <laughs> I'm going to tell the story literally immediately as soon as I meet somebody. I'd be like, one time at 2.30 in the morning, Joan Rivers brought a voodoo priestess to my door and cleansed my apartment. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, you're like, I'm sorry, I'm late to work. Uh, it's that Joan Rivers showed up at my apartment at 2.30 in the morning with Voodoo Priestess. Yeah, hi. So <laughs> I got minimal sleep. Thanks, actually. <laughs> but apparently most of them had had their own interactions with Mrs. Spencer. She said, quote, everybody had a story, end quote. One neighbor said on two separate occasions she had seen a couple coming down the staircase in full evening dress. She said good evening to them and watched them walk out the door, then asked the doorman who that was, not having recognized them. But he just gave her a confused look and said, who was who? Another woman said she had gone up to look at the ballroom apartment at one point since she had been thinking about renting it. When she got up there, she saw couples dancing in evening clothes. She thought someone must have rented it out for the night and went down to tell the woman renting it about the dancing couples. But she had no idea what the other woman was talking about. No one had rented the apartment, and no one was supposed to be up there. They went back upstairs to check, but the room was empty. So now the voodoo priestess has cleansed the entire house of Mrs. Spencer's energy, like literally every single apartment. So Joan really wasn't worried about living there anymore. She figures it's fucking gone, it's over, done. Eventually the renovations were finished, and she was able to finally move in. And... Everything was fine at first, Uh. but then things started again. The dog was unhappy. The apartment was always cold. And despite having everything repaired, she could never get any of her electrical things to work properly. 
Joan said, quote, she came back, end quote. Ah. <sighs> Which, like, fuck. It's one of those things, like, the cleansing is supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to be, like, this it is should the be, solution. No? Yes. I don't know. I it don't should know be her... like like when you rip out a wisdom tooth. The wisdom tooth is like, bitch, I'm back with a vengeance. Like, no, that shit's supposed to be gone. Like the sequel, yeah. No. Bye. I mean, she's very tenacious, let's just say that. Mrs. Spencer Clearly. is not taking no for an answer. Clearly the fuck not. So what Joan was worried about was that the priestess had said Mrs. Spencer was very angry and didn't like what was being done with the house. Mm. And that's what really scared her that Mrs. Spencer would forever be taking it out on Joan, and she couldn't take the thought of that. So she started to cry and begged her, saying she's a widow, that all her money is in this apartment. Like, please don't do this to me. You must leave me in peace. Then one night, she was in the basement working with the handyman, and she came across this framed portrait that had been shoved behind some drywall and a bunch of broken bricks. Joan said the minute she took it out, she knew it was her, Mrs. Spencer. She said there was something very grand about her. When she showed it to the old knight doorman, he was able to confirm that it was, in fact, Mrs. Spencer. Knowing she wanted to honor this woman in the building that was once her home, Joan cleaned it up and hung the portrait in the lobby of the building. Not long after, the voodoo priestess called her and said she had had a visit from Mrs. Spencer. And oh, Joan, shit. yeah, and Joan insists, like, Sally called her. She didn't call Sally. This happened out of the blue. The priestess said, Mrs. Spencer is very pleased that you have put her back into her home. She's very happy with what you've done to the ballroom, and she likes that you keep flowers there. So will you please always keep flowers in the ballroom? Which, of course, Joan was happy to oblige. At the time of the interview, Joan had been living there for 18 years and said Mrs. Spencer comes to visit just about every night, usually around 3 o'clock in the morning. Mm. Joan said her dogs will wake her up, and she just feels this presence that she'll come through the bedroom and Joe will just say, hello, Mrs. Spencer, and go back to sleep. While she was frightened of Mrs. Spencer's presence initially, she no longer fears her apartment's permanent resident, saying, quote, it's comforting more than friendly, protective. It's a comfort. It's like she's checking on me. We're friends, end quote. And Joan even starts to get a little choked up when she's talking about her in the interview, which Honestly, like, really fucking sweet. I thought that was, yeah. like, really sweet. Joan said, quote, I know she's there and she's there to help me, end quote. Mrs. Spencer, whose first name remains a mystery, was said to be the niece of J.P. Morgan, like I stated earlier. And she is most likely Mrs. Alfred Nichol Spencer, the mother of Edith Spencer, whose marriage announcement was in the New York Times in 1941. And I read the announcement and it mentions the exact address and that they owned it and that like the wedding had taken place there. So mm. it actually does make sense that that's who that is. Right. Joan felt that her life had turned around in that apartment. She had a real home and a real sense of belonging at a time when she needed it most. Joan lived in the apartment for 28 years before her death in 2014 and entertained countless A-listers there, including... Princess Diana. Which, oh, shit. Can you imagine? No. Girl. And was known for throwing over-the-top parties in the ballroom, which- uh, Fuck yeah. Why the fuck else would you have a ballroom? That's all Literally I would facts. do. Yes. Yeah. You can see pictures of the apartment online. It's fabulous. It's fucking mm. gorgeous. The New York Times described it as the palatial penthouse, which is accurate. 
it spans three floors. Shit. So it's like really big. It's like it's 11 rooms. It's crazy. Yeah, it's huge. So I'm going to leave you with this, which is how she ended her Celebrity Ghost Stories interview, which obviously is not going to apply to Joan anymore. And I hope it applies to whoever lives there now. She said, quote, how nice to know I have Mrs. Spencer to say good evening to every night, end quote. That is really lovely. Right? I thought it was really sweet. So the billion dollar question is, though. Yes. Is Joan haunting the apartment now? (gasps) Oh, my God. I hope so. I hope it's her and Mrs. Spencer hanging out. Yeah. Well, she fucking sold that apartment for $28 million. Holy fuck. So, and I think it's up to like, because like Saudi royalty bought it after her. Because who the fuck else can afford that? Seriously. And then I was like, it was literally like, we were not even going to live there. Like our friends are, it's like a guest house kind of for like friends to stay, basically. Or dogs, whatever. Yeah. They also put it back up on the market though. And I believe it's still on the market to this day. And now it's like 38 million. So... Nobody wants to live with Mrs. Spencer. I don't know. I don't know. I say Joan's in there. Just hanging out with Mrs. Spencer. That never even occurred to me the whole time I was doing the story, and that makes me really happy, Moni. <laughs> that, like... You're welcome. The thought of that is going to, like, cradle me to sleep tonight. I really enjoyed I'm that. I'm into it. That was really sweet. You made a sweet celebrity ghost story even sweeter somehow. I'm glad. Thank you for the story. I hadn't remembered... I definitely hadn't remembered the dicks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I should have. Girl. I'm not going to lie. I like had basically had this whole story written and then I like was like, I'm going to give the celebrity ghost story like one more watch one more. real quick. And then that was the one detail I had missed that I was like, how the fuck did I miss this? That was the craziest fucking part, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And Miss Spencer. Mrs. Spencer, you perv. I love it. I get it, girl. Get it. I hope you're getting railed on the other side. <laughs> getting that good D. <laughs> Riding that D train. Just just flooded with <laughs> ectoplasm. Get it, girl. Get it, girl. Uh, oh, my God. That was amazing, though. Good. Thank I'm you. glad you liked it. I actually watched a bunch of other weird paranormal shows trying to mix it up. And I watched one called Unexplained Caught on Camera. And in the episode I watched, I saw a grown woman marry a... <laughs> Say she was marrying a 300-year-old pirate, which basically meant she was getting married to a picture of Johnny Depp on a boat. Stop it. It was one of the funniest things I have ever seen in my life. It was, her wedding photos are her posing like on the beach with this giant picture of Johnny Depp dressed obviously as Jack Sparrow. Like he's not, it's not like a normal picture of Johnny Depp. Monique. I I cannot (laughs) handle any of that. Couldn't believe it. As soon as I thought that, I was like, well, the credibility for this show kind of just like goes out the window on this it one. It plummeted like, immediately. On. Come yeah. on. <laughs> oh. But yeah, I had a good, I had a good laugh about that. I mean, that's outrageous. It's wild. Yes. Uh, thank you for sharing that, though. I had to. I was like, uh, no, I'm definitely like mentioning this at some point because there's no way I can't. That's insane. She married a picture of Johnny Depp. Everyone picture- <laughs> married a picture of Johnny Depp. Okay. Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean, I get it, but... Girl, no. Look at your life. Look at your choices. No. The funniest Mm -hmm. part was uh, she admitted later that, like, it didn't work out and they broke up. (laughs) Which I was like, if you were going to, like, fake marry a ghost, wouldn't he, like, be loyal to you forever? Whose fault was it? Was it the ghost's (laughs) fault? Your reaction. Thank you. Where I was like, um, what? 
wow. I cannot. I cannot. I need to watch this now, just because, because this oh, is insane. It's, it was it was very ridiculous. It was it was a lot. It was a lot. Um, I also watched an episode of The Haunting of. Yeah. Which I really liked, but I thought it was a little too scary for where I wanted to go. No shit. Today. So I will save that for another point in time. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the Joan Rivers one was like a little scary, but it's also very feel good at the end. I agree. I feel like we need that. Yeah. Yeah, after. especially after you traumatize everyone. Absolutely. I know, I know. It's your turn to traumatize us, Monique. Do you it have is. some uh, traumatizing true crime for me? Yeah. So I'm going to say this. I Ooh, say love it. this story. <gasps> oh, no. And when we get through it, you're, you're going to realize why. Like, it's a horrible story. But I love this story. Uh, because... I'm not going to say why. You're going to find out. I love when you lead me on like this and then you make a secret <laughs> mystery at the end. I love Monique's secret mysteries. God damn it. Okay. I mean, I think you, everyone will be able to put together why I love this story so much um, because there's things about it that are amazing. But so uh, I'm going to pull an Amy and I'm not really going to tell you what it's about. We're just going to dive right into it. Sources. Fuck yeah. NBCnews.com. Findagrave.com. OCregister.com bakersfield.com wikipedia.com and an oxygen show that i will reveal what it is later because the title gives, gives it away gives away what the thing is if i can do that you know what you're getting with an oxygen show <laughs> in 2003 Joni harper and her mother ernestine were both very popular well-known and respected people in their community of bakersfield california Ernestine was a civil rights activist who had a passion for helping those whom she felt had been wrongly accused or wronged by the system. She was mother of five children, but Ernestine was the type of woman who was everyone's mother. She often let her children's friends live with them when they felt they had no place else to go. Joni grew up loving basketball and was a basketball star at Bakersfield High School. Her dream was to become a basketball official for the NBA, and she was well on her way. She had joined a Pac-10 or Pacific Conference 10 and was a Division I basketball official. So full disclosure, I looked this up. I don't really understand what that means. You don't need to explain it to me. I'm not going to understand it even Great. if you explain okay. it to me. So I'm cool. If you want to just move yeah, on Yeah, it's like a conference. Like in basketballs, they have conferences. And she was an official for like a, a Division I conference. So big deal. That's all I know. I will take that information. Yeah. Thank you, Monique. That's that's the most I can give you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That, I don't was understand. that was plenty. No, <laughs> I don't understand. She did that for a few years when she got involved with Vincent Brothers. Vincent was the vice principal of John C. Fremont Elementary School. And like Joni and Ernestine, Vincent was also very well liked and respected in the community. He was very hands-on in both after-school activities as well as events within the community. Not long into their courtship, Joni became pregnant, and on November 5th, 1998, the day after her 35th birthday, Joni welcomed her first child, Marcus. Not long after giving birth, Joni became pregnant again, and in January of 2000, to the relief of her conservative religious family, Joni and Vincent tied the knot at a courthouse. On August 5th, 2000, the couple welcomed their daughter, Lindsay. Joni's best friend, Michelle Baptiste, recalled what a happy time this was for Joni. The thing was, 
Vincent had a wandering eye. And even though he was married, he messed around on Joni. A lot. Ugh, fuck this guy. Uh Uh-huh, fuck this guy. The Harpers came from an extraordinarily religious family. Joni and Ernestine never missed a service or Bible study class. And Joni aspired to live the type of life that she believed God called her to live, which meant things like practicing radical forgiveness. So Joni learned to turn the other cheek at her husband's never-ending indiscretions. Girl, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, No. fuck this guy. Yeah. But Vincent's constant affairs proved too much for Joni, and in September of 2001, Joni had her marriage to Vincent Brothers annulled, citing infidelity as the cause. But because Vincent was the father of her children, he remained in her life, and he was a charmer. So it wasn't long before Joni found herself pregnant again by her ex-husband. Oh, Joni, Joni, Joni. I know, girl. 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 I know. I feel for you. You were out. You were free. Like, why? You let him trap you again. You know. I know. I know. Poor Joni. Okay. Determined to forgive and forget and believing that this time things would be different, Joni once again married Vincent in Las Vegas in January 2003. Oh, honey. Girl. Oh. Yeah. Sweetie. That's a real, that's a real bless your heart situation, isn't it? You know what? I actually know someone who's done this. And I think Elizabeth Taylor did it too. Like, people do it. People do do this. And it's like, And it sucks because... When you're in it, you just can't see what a bad idea it is. And everyone around you is like, girl, no. Didn't we find out how this movie ended the first time we watched it? Yeah. All right. It's just going to get worse from here. So buckle up, kids. But, of course, nothing was different. Vincent never stopped seeing other women. And three short months later, the couple separated and Vincent moved out of the Harper house that he had shared with his wife, children, and Ernestine. The following month, on May 23rd, 2003, Joni gave birth to a son, Marshall. On Sunday, July 6th, the three generations of Harpers went to church. It was an especially exciting day because it was the first time Joni was bringing six-week-old Marshall to introduce him to the congregation. After the service, Ernestine and her three children went in their Sunday best to have lunch at a Black Angus restaurant. Kelsey Spann, one of Joni's best friends who had lived with them at one point, saw them at the restaurant and greeted the happy family. The Harpers finished their meal and went home to take a nap before heading back to church again later in the day, as was their Sunday routine. But that Sunday, the Harpers didn't come back. Kelsey, who had run into them at the restaurant, also attended the same church and found it odd that the five hadn't made it back to church as the family never missed a service. When Monday came and went, and she still hadn't heard from her best friend Joni, she decided to stop by the house the following morning to check in on them. And, as I said, because Kelsey had previously lived there, she still had a key to the house. After several knocks went unanswered, she let herself in. Oh no. At 7.03 a.m., Kelsey Spann called 911 sobbing that her best friend was dead and to please send someone to the residence as quickly as possible. While waiting for authorities to arrive, Kelsey called their friend Michelle, telling her to quickly come to Joni's. 
The first officer to arrive on the scene walked around the house to see if there had been any signs of forced entry. The house had been pretty fortified. There was a gate to enter the property, another security gate at the front door, and bars on the windows. The front door was secure, and there were no points of forced entry. So the officer walked the perimeter of the property and found that a sliding glass door in the back of the house wasn't completely closed. The officer entered the residence and quickly determined that there were four victims in the house and immediately called for backup and medical assistance. It was around this time that Michelle pulled up to the Harper home, and when she saw the cop cars with their lights on and caution tape surrounding the house, she knew something terrible had happened, but she couldn't go in. It was a crime scene after all. All she could do was wait to see what the authorities found. 20 minutes later, homicide detectives Jeff Watts and Donald Kruger arrived at the scene. They also entered the home through the sliding back door. The two went into the bedroom and found three victims lying on a queen-size bed. They found the bodies of 39-year-old Joni, 23-month-old Lindsay, and 4-year-old Marcus. Oh, no, Monique. It's, yeah, it's real bad. Okay. As detectives Watts and Kruger continued their search throughout the house, they found the body of 70-year-old Ernestine lying face down in the hallway with an antique revolver close by. Initially, the detectives thought this could be a case of multiple murder-suicide, but upon inspecting the revolver, while it did have live rounds in it, it had not been fired. They also quickly noticed that there were spent 22 caliber shell casings around the house, which obviously didn't match the antique revolver. So the gun that was used to shoot and kill these victims was another gun, and it was missing. Michelle, okay. who's a- amateur hour. You're mm. gonna shoot him with a totally different gun and like not leave the gun with the correct bullets and anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll get into we'll get into the things. Michelle was outside the house, frantically waiting for any news. When the officer came out and informed the distraught woman that they had found four bodies in the house. As devastating as the news was, Michelle told the officer that five people had been living in that house, and detectives realized that they were missing 45-day-old Marshall Harper. The police did a room-to-room search looking for the newborn, but initially couldn't find him, which led them to believe that maybe he had been kidnapped or maybe was outside of the house and in need of help. But five to seven minutes into their search, the body of the baby was discovered on the same bed as that of his mother and siblings. He had been covered in pillows, and the baby had been shot in the back. <gasps> mm-hmm. I literally just gave myself chills. That's so vicious. That's uh-huh. so... Uh-huh. <sighs> Detective Jeff Watts got emotional when he said this next bit. He said, quote, I just really had a hard time wrapping my mind around this. Looking at it as being a father myself... I just thought, you know, who could harm a baby like this? End quote. Yeah. Detective Donald Kruger said he had never seen anything like it. He said, quote, three generations being wiped out in one moment. There's just no way that I think any of us can fully understand that. It was like nothing else I'd dealt with. We were going to do everything humanly possible to get to the bottom of this. End quote. During the initial walkthrough of the crime scene, the home looked like it had been ransacked. There was a purse in another room that had been turned over, with all of its contents splayed out, but nothing appeared to be missing from the purse. And in Joni's bedroom, where the four bodies were found, 
there was cash on a nightstand in clear view that had been left untouched. Credit cards, TV, and other things of value had been left behind. AKA, the scene was staged to look like a home invasion and a burglary. I was like, AKA, amateur hour. Hi, do Fucking your job amateur hour. better. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks. Kelsey, who had been the one to discover the slain family, was quickly brought in for questioning. Kelsey told the detectives that she had last seen the Harper family on Sunday, July 6th at the Black Angus restaurant in Bakersfield. Prior to that, the entire family had gone to church. She told them that the Harper's routine every Sunday is that they would go to church, they'd go out to eat, go back home, undress, take a nap, and then they'd get ready again to return to church later on in that day. And Kelsey thought something was amiss because the family had not come back to church later in the afternoon. And given that Ernestine was found in the hallway still wearing her church clothes, and the autopsy found steak, potato, and bread still found in the victim's stomachs, the detectives started putting together a timeline and believed that the murders had to have occurred after 1 p.m. when they got back from the restaurant on Sunday, July 6th. Detectives also believed that whoever committed this heinous crime had to have first-hand knowledge of the Harper's family's whereabouts and movements on Sunday afternoons. With Ernestine's history of activism, there was a higher chance of someone not being into her work and therefore threatening her life or the life of her family. But the thing is... Joni's attack, in particular, was very personal. While all of the victims had been shot, Joni had not only been shot five times, but was the only victim who had been stabbed as well. And she had been stabbed five times. Dude. Literally overkill. So much. Like, mm-hmm. pick a thing. Yeah. Pick a thing. Like, that yeah. one was enough. Yeah. Also, not killing anyone is always an option. Yes. Correct, Monique. I think sometimes people forget this. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like people do because that's how we have this podcast. Because they don't, they forget it. You can choose not to do that, though. You can, you can be mad and you can just walk away. You could literally just like start a whole new life if you want without any of those people again. Yeah, could. Yeah. Yeah. This led detectives to believe that Joni was the main intended target. Yes, Correct. And because the majority of homicides are committed by those closest to the victim, what the fuck was up with Joni's husband, Vincent Brothers? Like, hi, yeah, so, like, what were you doing the other day? Just, yeah. Like, wondering. So during the investigation, Kelsey told Watts and Kruger that Vincent was actually out of town. He had gone to Ohio to see his brother over Fourth of July weekend before driving to North Carolina to see his mother. Towards the end of the first day of questioning, the detectives received a phone call from the Elizabeth City Police Department in North Carolina informing them that Vincent Brothers, his mother, sister, and brother Melvin were at the police department there because they had heard about what had happened to his family. The Brothers' family was waiting at the station for several hours while Watts and Kruger got on a plane and flew across the country to meet them. The two detectives got Vincent into an interrogation room, and Watts' plan was to ask Vincent the standard questions— When was the last time you spoke with your wife, Joni? Do you have any idea who would want to do this? But the interview was a complete wash. Vincent was sobbing uncontrollably. On the interrogation tape, you can hear this grown man screaming for his mother. And when I say, like, he's screaming. Uh, And screaming that he wants to go home. uh, It's This is giving me flashbacks from last week, too. Like, no. Mm. No. You're, You're overselling it, dude. Watts told him, quote, 
I know you're upset. I recognize that. But understand that we're trying to find out what happened. We're trying to get an understanding of potential timelines, end quote. But Vincent just kept on screaming. Watts said, quote, I was kind of concerned. And then I thought, is he just so distraught? He's out of his mind here. But it looked like he was going to vomit, end quote. Jesus Christ. So, okay. Like, it's a lot. It, you know, and I, they just um, played a little bit of the audio recording. So you didn't see. Yeah. It wasn't a, a visual tape of it. But it was, it was a lot listening to the little bit that they played. And there wasn't much he could tell the detectives at that point. So the interview was concluded and Vincent Brothers was released. But because it's almost always the husband, Vincent automatically became a person of interest until the detectives could check his alibi. After they released Vincent, detectives in North Carolina determined that Vincent's cell phone was pinging in Columbus, Ohio during the time of the murders and that his credit cards had been used in Columbus on Sunday, July 6th. Family friend Michelle Batiste said of the murders, quote, Bakersfield as a city was just in shock. There's crime in every city, but this was one that just turned Bakersfield upside down, end quote. A man who was interviewed on the news said of Ernestine, quote, It's truly, truly traumatic to lose someone as valuable as that, end quote. On July 16th, 2003, a large funeral was held for the family, with 3,000 people in attendance. Vincent flew back for the service with his family and was inconsolable. A week into the investigation, Watson Kruger decided to take a step back and slow down and really look at everyone around the Harpers. At first, they looked at Ernestine's history of activism. Family members often described her as paranoid, which is why she had gotten herself the antique revolver for protection. And because she was an activist, there was a higher risk of someone threatening Ernestine or her family's lives. So they looked to see if Ernestine or Joni had ever filed a police report for anyone making threats against them. They also looked into the neighborhood for possible suspects, parolees with violent pasts, but nothing came back as a match and the Harpers never filed a police report against anyone. And the detectives also ruled out burglary or burglary in process because nothing had actually been taken from the house. So whoever committed this crime had a specific reason for killing these specific people. Then the detectives decided to circle back on Vincent. During their interrogation with Kelsey, they learned that Joni was married to Vincent Brothers, but that they were separated during the time of the murders because he's a fucking piece of shit and yeah. he keeps cheating on her. Detective Watts said, quote, At that time in my career, I was also a domestic violence expert. I was well aware of the fact that it is not uncommon for one spouse to murder the other. But I was trying to figure a motive. Why would he kill his entire family? I mean, why would he do that? So until we had more evidence, I decided we cannot rule Vincent out as a suspect. Even though his credit card was in Columbus, we knew his cell phone was in Columbus, but was he, end quote. Yeah, I was like, you could suck and just give it to somebody if you really had to. Yeah. So they started looking into Vincent's credit card usage. His credit card had been rung up at a Walmart in Ohio. And if he used credit cards in the store, there would be security footage of him using it. Hey. Which would eliminate, yeah, which would eliminate Vincent Brothers as a suspect. So Watson Kruger returned to Columbus to get surveillance tapes from the Walmart. After they picked up the tapes, they stopped by Vincent's brother, 
Melvin's house to interview him to help them put together a timeline of his brother's whereabouts since they weren't able to get a statement from Vincent because he was so distraught in his interview. It was determined that Vincent arrived in Columbus on Wednesday, July 2nd. The two asked Melvin of his brother's movements and credit card usage during his stay, and Melvin denied having any information about the credit cards being used. But Watts and Kruger quickly realized that the more they talked to Melvin, the more his story would change. Uh-oh. Something seemed fishy, and Watts told Melvin, quote, We have videotape, and if you're lying to me, you could be an accessory to murder. End yeah, quote. hi. Mm-hmm. Hi. Thanks. Don't fuck with Can these guys. Can you not lie to us about your fucking possibly murdering brother? Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Watson Kruger spent hours watching the Walmart security tapes, and then they saw it. On Sunday, July 6th, the day of the murders, it wasn't Vincent Brothers, but Melvin Brothers, who was caught on the surveillance footage of the store. Yeah. I'll just leave my phone and my card with you, brother. You can, like, you just use it whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I gotta run some errands. It's fine. So they interviewed Melvin again. And, of course, initially Melvin denied everything. But it wasn't long before Melvin started spilling the tea. Melvin admitted that he had used Vincent's credit cards and that his brother had instructed him to buy specific (gasps) items and that those items had to be bought on Sunday, July 6th. And that when Melvin bought those items... He was to sign Vincent's name. Classy. Super classy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is like the one not amateur thing this guy did. And like if he yeah. had maybe not botched every other aspect of this, like he might have actually like done a good job and got away with this. Wait, there's like more shit. Melvin was able to provide Watts and Kruger with a timeline. This trip had been planned. Yeah. Vincent arrived at Columbus, Ohio on Wednesday, July 2nd, and was planning to stay at his brother's for 7 to 10 days. Then the two were going to drive to North Carolina to visit their mother. When the two detectives asked Melvin if he had seen his brother any time from the morning of Friday, July 4th through July 8th, 2003, Melvin admitted that he had not, in fact, seen his brother at any point during those four days. Melvin was released, and it became increasingly clear to the detectives that Vincent's credit cards were being used to establish an alibi. Yes. So the detectives know that Vincent Brothers was in Columbus, Ohio on Wednesday, July 2nd, and he arrived in North Carolina on Tuesday, July 8th, when he showed up at the police department. The million-dollar question here was, could Vincent Brothers leave Ohio on July 3rd, get all the way back to Bakersfield, commit the murders, and be back in North Carolina by July 8th. I was like, as someone who just pulled a straight 18-hour drive, yeah, you could do that. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the- here's the thing. It's literally cross-country. Yep. Slap, it's California, North Carolina. Slap the diaper on, get your fucking <laughs> uppers, caffeine pills, whatever you fucking need. Get it. Get the Red Bull. Drive. So initially, Watson Kruger looked into flight records And while they found that Vincent Brothers had taken a flight from LAX to Columbus, Ohio, there was no return ticket. So, again, would it be possible to drive from Columbus, Ohio to Bakersfield, California in that amount of time? When Vincent landed in Columbus, he had rented a blue Dodge Neon at the airport. The rental car was still in service, so the detectives tracked it down and obtained the mileage record for the car. 
The car was very new and had only been rented by a few other people before Vincent Brothers had returned it. When Vincent got the car, it had 2,709 miles on it. When he turned it back into the rental car agency on July 11th, he turned the car in with 8,248 miles. Damn. In his time with the okay, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we see in you. his time with the rental car, Vincent had traveled five thousand four hundred and twenty-four miles. No, I was just doing donuts in like a parking lot for like six mm-hmm. days straight. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I, no, I didn't. I totally mm-hmm. didn't murder anybody. It's fine. The detectives did the math and quickly determined that the distance from Columbus to Bakersfield, then Bakersfield to Elizabeth City, North Carolina totaled up to just over 5,400 miles. Bam! The mileage just proved that Vincent was capable of making the drive, but now detectives had to prove that Vincent Brothers actually drove the rental car across the country and back during the time of the murders. Because that's the thing. He could actually have just been doing fucking donuts. <sighs> this is this is circumstantial at this point. Te- yeah, to, like, it's sort of like technically yes, but like even if you ran... A million errands around town or wherever yeah. you were, and took a couple. Or he could have gone trips, to Canada, like, or he could have gone to anywhere else. Yeah, like that's the thing, because you gotta build the case, and it's gotta be fucking strong. Yes, yeah. you really only get one shot at it. Watts said, "Quote: I knew we needed to link Vincent Brothers and the vehicle. So, in thinking outside of the box in this investigation, we came up with the idea that if you're gonna drive from one end of the country to the other end of the country." you're most likely going to have a bunch of bugs splattered on your windshield. Totally. End quote. Yeah. You're not going to clean it on the trip? No. Kruger continued saying, quote, many insects are indigenous to certain <gasps> regions, and that may be an indicator where this vehicle was when it was rented by Vincent Brothers. Oh my end God. Quote. I'm nerding out so hard right now, Monique. I love all of this. This never would have occurred to me. Brilliant. Literally fucking same this is why i love this story i'm fucking so here for this right now it's an awful story but i'm fucking here for the story did not see that coming yes girl yes the bugs were the key monique okay absolutely (laughs) so the detectives found the previous renters and interviewed them about where they had traveled and all of them had gone no further west than michigan the two detectives worked with the fbi to recover parts of the rental car specifically the radiator and air intakes, to analyze bug evidence. Detective Watts then contacted Dr. Lynn Kimsey, chief entomologist at UC Davis, and they were like, hey girl, if we send you this radiator, can you see if there's like any bug parts on there that you can identify? And if so... Could you tell us where those bugs are primarily located? Okay, thanks, bye. And they're like, I got you, boo. Don't even worry about it. Let me get right on that. Cool. Dr. Lin said, quote, we do a lot of odd things in here, working with the public and law enforcement in some cases, but this had to be the oddest. We didn't know if we'd be able to do this or not. We found fragments of moths and lace wings, the kinds of things that would fly at night which suggested that a lot of the driving was done at night. All right. That the other things we found were insects where, just looking at the fragments, we had a pretty good idea that they were only found in the southwestern U.S. I was going to say, like, desert bugs specifically. That's a very Mm -hmm. specific region. Yeah. Dr. Kimsey was able to identify three bugs that were only indigenous to the area west of the Rocky Mountains. Oh, my God. I love this. So they knew... 
that that rental car was in Southern California at the same time frame as the murders, at a time frame that Vincent Brothers could not account himself for, nor alibi himself for. Fuck yes. That's because you're a murdering piece of shit. You fucking murdering piece of shit. And here's the thing. While all of this information is fucking amazing, it is still mainly circumstantial. Yep. Mm. Watts and Kruger had to physically place Vincent in Bakersfield. So they reached out to the community for their help. And the thing is, detectives Watts and Kruger are both white men. And the east side of Bakersfield, where the crime occurred, is a lower-income, predominantly African-American community that has a distrust in law enforcement. And as a result, people who live there have been conditioned to not speak to the police. But the impact of this case on the community was so severe that it allowed community members to come forward and talk to law enforcement about the last time they had seen Vincent Brothers. Damn. Mm-hmm. One person who worked at the local Rite Aid saw and interacted with Vincent Brothers at the store in the early evening of July 4th, which was two days after he was supposed to be in fucking Columbus. Yep. Later that same evening around midnight, two other men who have known Vincent Brothers for years said they saw him in front of the eventual crime scene, pacing around and looking nervous for about 20 minutes. Dude. You couldn't have done that in a hotel room away from prying eyes? You had to do it right there? Yep. But no, he's a genius. He just left his fucking cell phone and credit card in Columbus, so it can't be tracked to him. Obviously. Obviously. Watts and Kruger had the evidence. All they were missing now was a motive. Why would this well-liked, well-respected man murder his entire family? As they started digging into Vincent's life, they found out that the vice principal was very active in school activities as well as in the community itself. He presented himself to be a model citizen, but Vincent Brothers was also a womanizer. He had many relationships with women, and many of those relationships overlapped, and many were going on in the months leading up to the murders, and the women he was seeing were given the impression that the relationship was going to continue after the murders. And as is often the case, the women didn't know about each other. Joni literally gave birth to his baby 45 days prior, but he was still fucking around with all of these other women because he's fucking trash. He's really awful. Mm-hmm. When the detectives talked to peers that he worked with, turns out that Vincent Brothers wasn't the nice, decent guy he tried to present himself as at work either. In 1996, Vincent sexually harassed a woman who worked at the school where he worked as vice principal. If that's not bad enough, She claims that during a visit to his home, he hit her. And wait, it gets fucking worse, because when this woman went to the police to file a formal complaint, she was dissuaded from doing so by the authorities because Vincent was a, quote, respected community leader. Okay, but not anymore because he just hit me. And that's assault and battery yep. so yep. he's not anymore so now you have information that proves that that's not true that he's not. so we should record that information so yeah. that you can now rethink your perception of him because clearly that's incorrect correct yeah hi, hi. evidence yeah to, yeah. to steal to a the line contrary. from right to steal a line from from the dude i know you haven't seen lebowski but it's like new shit has come to light man like yeah hello During an investigation by the school, Vincent denied the allegations, and while he was warned, 
of the effect of such behavior on his career, he was not formally disciplined. And guess the fuck what? Vincent Brothers also had a prior history of violence and domestic abuse. I was like, wait, was this an escalating situation? Weird. Okay. You know, in addition to his two marriages to Joni, Vincent was married an additional two times. So that's four total for those who are bad at the maths. Three ladies, four marriages. Mm Mm-hmm. In 1988, Vincent was convicted of misdemeanor spousal abuse, where he received a six-day jail sentence and was put on probation, which, light, don't love that. I mean, I also understand it was the 80s, but no, don't love that. So you got, like, basically, like, a literal slap on the wrist, and then they were like, okay, bad. Don't do that again. Yeah, don't do that again. Yeah. Now, if you'll walk through here to the gift shop, you can exit right through that door. You can get your, your, your jail gift bag on the way out. Yeah. You know, don't forget that. He married again in 1992, and the following year, his wife sued for divorce, claiming that he was violent and had threatened to kill her. Yeah. Yeah, all that tracks. It's really terrible that we didn't have a, like, official record of this somewhere. You know? Hmm? Yeah. You'd think. Hmm? But he's such a respected leader in the community. Of course. We shouldn't write down any of this horrible shit everyone's saying he's doing, because that would really... Because then they might know. Yeah. And that that would not be a great look for him. Poor guy. It's really Bro code, Amy. going Bro against code. this uh, brand he's putting out. Exactly. So, yeah. In their search for a motive, Detective Kruger came across a relationship that Vincent had had with another woman while attending California State University Bakersfield 10 years prior to the murders, who was the mother of his first child and only surviving daughter, Margaret. They found documentation of a court hearing where Vincent Brothers says that he needs his child support payments reduced because he had another child, Marcus, on the way. In response, the judge, who's a fucking bamf, substantially increased Vincent Brothers' child support payments because fuck this guy. Yeah, fuck you. Also, you like couldn't afford the child support payments you had, so you were like, I'm going to get another person pregnant. Cool. That's my Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. Awesome. And it went from $350 a month. I also know that this is, you know, whatever, like the 80s. So that's more money technically. But it went from $350 a month to 500 bucks a month. I was like, yeah, fuck you. You're going to now pay $500 a month. But $300 is not, you can't raise a child on $350 yeah. a month. No. I'm pretty sure not even in the fucking 80s. No, absolutely So not. fuck you. Yeah. Kruger said, quote, It illustrated to me a desire to reduce his burden, his cost, because he led a free-willing lifestyle with a number of different women, and it led me to believe that this may very well be the basis or motive for the killings. He's got three young children he's going to have to pay for. What better way in his twisted mind than to murder everyone and avoid that expense? End quote. Then he gets the sympathy. He's got money to take these bitches out. Like, mm-hmm. he's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he always has the thing of, like, his his family was murdered while he was out visiting his mother. Like, uh, poor guy. Yeah. He's such a good dude. He was seeing his brother and his mother. And, like, he's he such was, a family man. This happened. How could uh, this happen? To such a nice, respected family man of the community. Fuck you. I hate all of this. In late April 2004, nine months after the Harper family had been brutally murdered in their home, the two detectives felt they finally had enough compelling evidence to convince the jury that Vincent Brothers was guilty of being a mass murderer. 
He was arrested and charged with five counts of first-degree murder and a special charge because of the multiple deaths. He yeah. was held in... Mm-hmm. That seems necessary. Yeah. Yep, I never thought about that being a thing, but that should actually... I didn't yeah. know it was a thing, but I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'm on board with this. He was held in police custody until his trial began in January of 2007. Detective Watts was present for every day of that trial. At that trial, the prosecuting attorney laid out the timeline of what happened that Sunday. After church on Sunday, July 6, 2003, Joni, Ernestine, and the kids went out to have lunch at a Black Angus restaurant. Then they came back home and took their naps. Vincent, who not only was married to Joni, but used to live in the house, knew their Sunday routine, and knew how to get in undetected. After they got back, that's when Vincent got into the house via the sliding glass door and then made his way down the hallway into the bedroom where Joni and her three children were sleeping. Joni was shot and killed immediately and shot four more times, then stabbed five times. Vincent then shot and killed 23-month-old Lindsay and 45-day-old Marshall. The gunfire and screaming created a lot of noise, which prompted Ernestine, who was down the hall in her bedroom, to come out, revolver in hand, and probably yelling out and announcing her approach, giving Vincent Brothers time to move down the hallway and shoot her twice. No! And then go back into the bedroom where four-year-old Marcus was. <gasps> oh, the biggest wave of chills, Monique. No, 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 no. The child was sitting there in bed, awake, and witnessing his family being killed. Okay, so this part is is real bad. My hands and are this, my face is already in my hands, and I've like I stopped know. breathing. I haven't been breathing, Monique. Yeah, th- this this next bit is real bad, so I'm really sorry in advance. <sighs> this four year old boy was so terrified that he bit through his own finger <gasps> to the bone. I, I can't even express to you. I, yeah. it, the chills have not gone away. They're permanent yeah. now. They're just a part mm-hmm. of me. Um, yeah. Was he like sucking his thumb? That's what I think it was. And then the down is probably. His thumb and oh, then, and he god. was so scared. Oh my god! That he bit to the bone. I can't. I can't, dude. When you accidentally bite like your lip or something when you're eating, and you're like, ah, Jesus, how did I do yeah. that? That's a pain. like. To That's how scared <gasps> this little boy is. And then his father came in oh. and shot his four-year-old son, Marcus, at close range. Over the four months this long This is a trial, house of terror. This is a, yes. this is a house of terror. This is acceptable. None of these people died peacefully in their sleep, okay? This is horrifying. Let me tell you, when I was working on this, I was like, Amy's going to be like, this actually is a house of terror. Correct, Monique, because it is. Unexplained <laughs> It actually is. Netflix, uh, misnomer. That episode yeah. was in- incorrectly titled. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Girl. It's, uh, yeah. Over the four months long trial, jurors heard testimony from 137 witnesses, Damn. including Vincent. Mm-hmm. Including Vincent who lied over 41 times while on the stand. Trash. Of course he fucking did. Of course he did. Piece of shit. Committed yet another crime. Perjury. Good for you, Uh Yeah. You can't, you literally can't stop. Yeah. No, I didn't even mention this. So while he was waiting, because he was basically in jail for three years waiting for for the trial, trial, 
his defense attorneys send this like letter being like, actually, my client is totally innocent. And what had happened was, is that Kelsey, who had the keys, was having a lesbian affair with Joni, and they had a falling out, and she couldn't handle it, and in a lesbian rage, fucking murdered the entire family. That, you know, the well-known lesbian rage they've fallen into. Like, what are you yeah. fucking talking about? Like, And then, like, that's and then so it's like infuriating. weirdo. No, and then in like a weirdo move, Vincent Brothers then wrote like a letter to a, a local newspaper being like, oh no, she wasn't a lesbian. Like, this is outrageous that my defense attorneys would do this. Like, kind of to be like, guys, I'm a good guy in this whole thing. Like, I didn't I'm say a good that. Guy they here. were trying to say that. I they would said never it. Say I didn't that. say that. I'm correcting it. And I, I really hope we find who did it, guys. I really do. Go fuck yourself. Go I like yourself. hurt my forehead a little bit because I just rolled my eyes so hard that I like gave mm-hmm. myself eye strain. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck this guy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you know how I'm. Yeah. You know where I'm at right yes. now. Yeah. It's I think it's where we all are <sighs> like collectively. But no, he's a good guy. So yeah. He's a good guy. He's a well-respected leader in the community. <laughs> mm. On May 15th, 2007. Vincent Brothers was convicted of the first-degree murders of his family, of 70-year-old Ernestine Harper, 39-year-old Joni Harper, 4-year-old Marcus Harper, 23-month-old Lindsay Harper, and 45-day-old Marshall Harper. Detective Kruger said, quote, This guy is as evil as it gets. End quote. The jury agreed, and on September 27, 2007, the Superior Court judge Michael Bush sentenced Vincent Brothers to death based on the jury's recommendation. He was also ordered to pay restitution. The remaining Harper family filed a wrongful death suit against Vincent Brothers in July of 2005. According to the lawsuit, the deaths of their deceased family members deprived them of the, quote, support, love, care, comfort, affection, society, presence, companionship, and protection, end quote. In June of 2008, they received an undisclosed amount to recoup the costs of the funeral expenses and ensure that any money Vincent Brothers made went to his only surviving child, Margaret Kern Brothers. Elaine Bird, Joni Harper's sister, said, quote, We just want to make sure he wasn't allowed to get anything from Joni. If anything comes from him, we just think his daughter should have it. End quote. His daughter Margaret, on the other hand, disowned her father and said in court "Mm -hmm," that she planned to stop using her father's last name. She said, quote, I'm leaving my name with him. I don't have a father now. He will never see me again until it's time to die. End quote. Uh, Margaret, can we be best friends? Like, I kind of love this girl. Yeah. The last thing that is known about Margaret was that she was a successful college student in San Diego. So the Oxygen show that I saw was called uh, Family Massacre. That pretty much sums so, it up. That pretty it much sums it uh, up. tells you what the punchline is on that one. Yep. 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 And uh, definitely doesn't bury the lead. <laughs> nope. Nope. No ambiguity there. Nope. Uh, and of course, that's where I got most of the interviews from. And they have a family friend who's interviewed named Michael Cruz. and. 
ultimately the only reason he really shows up in this documentary or this whatever program is for what he says here. Really? He says, quote, what would they have been? What if Joni had become an NBA basketball official? Who knows what those children could have become? What would have happened had this not happened? End quote. Ugh, the chills. Like, mm-hmm. I'm touched. I'm like a little, a little burnt. Teary-eyed. Yep. Yep. It's a little mm-hmm. much. Ugh, it's so fucking true. That's why. It's just so yeah. heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Vincent Brothers is currently on death row in San Quentin. And that is the heartbreaking story of the Harper family and the badass detective work of detectives Jeff Watts and Donald Kruger. Yes, that was horrifying. Uh, But that was really interesting about the fucking Mm -hmm. bug analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I see why that story is so tragic and yet so fascinating. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. And it's funny because I had started doing the story over the, the holiday and because I had read like a cracked article from like 2008 or something okay, about Okay, yeah. That's how it goes, girl. That's how it goes. And then New Year's Eve, Oxygen released an episode about it. And you're like, this is fate. This is meant yeah. to be. Yeah, this is right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his name makes me think it should be a garage in Brooklyn, right? Like you're calling Vincent, Vincent Brothers, Brothers Garage. Yeah. I, I don't know. Every time you said it, <laughs> I was guy. like, yeah, I was like, I need to get my oil yeah. changed. What's happening? And all because he didn't want to pay child support. That's it. For a little bit of money. Again, all that for a little bit of money. Of all of the family annihilators that I've read about, this one is like the most infuriating because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah. The having the like harem of women on the side too also is like the extra infuriating thing of like- yeah. I don't want to say like – You're gross. Yeah. I don't want to say I like get it when it's like, – because I never do because I'm always like it's – again, it's just the money. Just fucking tell them you don't have the money anymore. You can't sustain this life. Like if you have to get divorced, you have to downsize, whatever you have to do. Like yeah. don't murder your whole family because of that. But to like it be the money thing and then you're also like cheating. But that's not the reason you're going to kill them to get away from her so you can right. go be with the person you're cheating on them with it's because i need to have money to take them out to the club yes because i have a lot of ladies actually yeah four kids is too much i can spend that on four ladies why would i want to support four children like then don't have children then don't wear wrap it up bro wrap it the fuck up yeah clearly just (sighs) does this guy snip snap yeah it's like did you not get that memo do you not know where babies come from you don't know how this uh, this is working out what's causing this cause and effect Nope. And a thing that was like extra upsetting. I mean, it's all upsetting. It's all but upsetting. It's all upsetting. But his son, Marcus, looks exactly oh, like him. How could you and, do that? And yeah. And that's that thing. I remember reading a while ago, and I don't know if this is really true or not, but that babies genetically in the first few years of their life look more like their father so that the like biologically they will attach and and become protective of their uh, of their offspring because the mother doesn't need to do that she's had it growing in her for 9 months she knows it's her yeah i'm very attached to this it literally came out of me yes yeah so to create that family bond that, is... that they genetically look more like the dad so that i can be like oh my god that's my baby like it looks like me that is really interesting and i i see why that actually could be true like evolutionarily for sure. yeah so to look at your baby 
your four-year-old who looks exactly like you <gasps> and who is terrified this. and you're like, I'm going to do this. I mean, there's, there isn't even a place in hell for people like you. Yeah. I just like, that's a level of like detachment, I guess, that I could just, I just, I can't imagine ever getting to. Uh, yeah. And then like <sighs> the putting on the show, like it's the, the, yeah, that is extra. Fuck you. Fuck you. And thinking you're a fucking genius because, like, you left your cell phone and credit cards in Ohio. When you did, like, basically every other step wrong. Like, every other thing you did was, like, a huge red flag that this wasn't a home invasion. That this was obviously, like, a very personal attack. Yes. Because you shot your wife and she was dead. And then you decided to shoot her four more times and then stab her a bunch on top of that. Like, randos don't do that. Like, statistically, they don't. This is like the guy who, like, ate the woman's heart and then was like, yes. it's not me. What are you talking about? It was, like a, it was two black dudes, I feel like, was his, uh, like, uh, excuse or whatever. It was like, no, no, that's they a don't very do that. personal thing. Yeah. Like, it's very obviously you. <sighs> Monique. That was such a good story. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. I'm enraged. I hate yeah. this guy, but. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. Also, like, part of me, and of course, he's, like, still, like, I'm super innocent, whatever. Yeah, fuck him. But imagine being, like, one of his side pieces. And I... you're, like, this dude that I was banging on the regular fucking murdered his entire family. Mo. Neek. Graw. Can you imagine? No. Not for one fucking second. Uh, that being said, if it did happen to me, again, literally any time I was introduced to somebody, I'd be like, yeah, hi, uh, I oh, dated yeah. a man who mass murdered somebody. Yeah. yeah. That's Thanks. that's the story at the cocktail party. Absolutely. A hundred fucking percent. Literally. Mm-hmm. It would get to a point where like literally, like, did you meet that girl who dated the murderer? And they'd be like, yeah, I fucking, she yeah. told me already. I know. Thank you. It's like, it wasn't even a murder. It was like a mass murder. Like yeah. she murdered five fucking people. <laughs> So that he could buy her Cosmos at fucking, like, Le Poisson Rouge or whatever the oh, fuck. Oh, my God. This man is trash. I'm, He's like, so clenching my hands together as if I'm, like, strangling him yeah. in my mind. Like, ugh. ugh. Because he's so awful. And what he did was so awful. And the reasoning is so, in- it's, like, nuts. It, yeah. it, it's You're right. It's all of those things compounded on it, one another. Yeah. It just makes it so much worse. And then him being like, I, I committed the perfect crime. <laughs> My wife. No. Like, I, I, fuck this guy. Fuck um, this but guy. The, but the bug splatter shit, I was like, this is amazing. And I and the level, because I think, you know, definitely when we do the stories, you come across a fair amount of like, you know, law enforcement that doesn't, that they've sh- shit the bed and they don't do the job and they don't follow up and it's, or they'll be like, well, we have to wait 72 hours to report someone missing and, and you know, all that red tape. And I have these two fucking bamps be like, yes, I understand the credit card was used in Columbus. I understand his phone was pinging, but let's look at, let's do our jobs. Yeah. And I don't actually that. give a shit because you can actually hand both of those items to another person yeah. and then go do a bunch of shit that's off the fucking grid now. So... Because yeah. they definitely had the opportunity to be like, well, my job is done. His alibi is great. And they didn't. And it's fucking rad. And that they're like, you know what? That's very true. You got a lot of bugs. Yeah. Maybe there's some bugs. Like, amazing. 
I used to have a, a boyfriend who would, uh, on Sundays, I would watch like 13 hours of Snapped while I was cleaning my apartment. And he would come in and be like, should I be uh, concerned that you're watching 13 like, well, hours? I just have cleaned up all your shit and watched murder shows. So probably. Yeah. But the thing that always, that I was always fascinated by was how they were found out. And this story, how he's found out is, I, I think, just amazing. Yeah. Truly. I think I just the detective work was incredible in the story. Yeah, definitely. Above and beyond on that one. Absolutely. Kudos, kudos to you guys. Yeah, totally. Fucking heroes. Well, thank you again. That was amazing. Thank you. Your story was fucking great. OG. OG. Joan Rivers. Classic. Joan Rivers. Fucking classic. I love it. Guys, thanks so much for listening. If you don't follow us already, you should. We're on the gram at Another Fucking Horror Podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read your stories. The crazy, spooky, true crimey, what the fuck shit. And if you want to submit your story for us to possibly read, you can email us at anotherfuckinghorrorpodcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the U and fucking. Thanks for being rad. Keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.